Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Uh, well, uh, brother, a great second episode. Uh, last week we did Is Jesus God, right? Part one. And so this is going to be part two. Um, it, this is a, a a critical podcast episode, I think, uh, just the, the subject matter. And um, I don't know if we really prefaced last week, but um, it, it would be good to say on the onset, I think, that anytime we are dealing with the sovereignty of God or the character and nature of God or the deity of Christ, it really and truly is a subject that we should all approach uh, very humbly um, yeah. with with great fear and trembling yeah. because we are talking about the holy God of the universe who created all things, and this is never a subject we should approach casually although i think we tend to do that yeah and i would say this is a topic of primary importance so we talk about a lot of things that we might say are secondary issues or we're applying things to culture and then how to view things uh, through the the eyes of um, god as revealed through his word but i think this topic um, th this is um, right there in the gospel and if you deny this, you deny the gospel. So th this is of primary importance, and I believe every Christian should have a grasp um, of this topic and, and how they would defend this topic. doesn't mean that they would know every single verse that we're going to bring up here, but that they're equipped with a few places that they would go to um, to be able to argue um, to, to be able to argue and to be convicted that, hey, this can't go any other way. this is this is Jesus Christ as as God. Um, I do agree with you that a lot of these topics that are of primary importance, we tend to be a little bit too flippant or too casual about them. Um, so having fear and trembling, every time we come to the text, really, um, every time we're in the Word of God, um, having the fear and trembling of realizing that we are reading the words given to us by our Holy Creator um, from eternity past. And so we don't want to, uh, we don't want to be flippant. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be sloppy. We don't want to twist and distort. We, we don't want to make this into something that supports our own agenda, but rather we should go to the text and really seek out, okay, what is the text revealing um, according to God's will and purpose here? Yeah, it, it, you made a great statement there uh, about not um, trying to insert our own agenda. And, and I think that in doctrines like this, that happens far more often, often than we'd probably like to admit. And I think that happens essentially in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, th that we look at the scriptures and we try to oversimplify the doctrines to such a degree that we say that we can say, I think it should be this so that I can fully understand it. Um, and, and, and that's kind of fitting, uh, put, putting our, our, our own, our own, our own desires into the text, right? We're saying this is a doctrine I believe I should be able to fully understand. So therefore, I'm either going to dismiss this or I'm going to oversimplify this. And by the way, a great many of heresies, uh, true heresies that um, are centered around uh, Christianity happen largely because of trying to oversimplify 
um, doctrines so that we can say, I fully understand it. But this is one of those doctrines that we we can't fully understand. Right. There will right. be a never, there'll never mm-hmm. be a time, and, and I'm not even sure in eternity that we will ever fully grasp this, though we may, um, but certainly not on this side, right, of glory. We'll, we'll never fully understand the 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 nature of Christ being fully God and fully man and how all that works. And the danger in this doctrine is looking at the text and where we see clearly both that Jesus is God and that Jesus is truly man, trying to um, simplify it to such a degree where we can say we've got this down perfectly. And so what ends up happening is people ignore passages right? Yeah. Ignore verses. Um, in fact, it's very interesting. We got uh, some comment on our last YouTube video, and it, it was actually a great question. And I think uh, it, there are questions that every, believers sh- every believer should ask at some stage because it's indicative of you reading the text and engaging it. And the, the question basically centered around, well, if Jesus prays uh, to his God and Father, then how can Jesus be God? It's a great yeah. question to ask. Um, and we'll, we've already talked about that on the first part, and we'll get into more of that here. Uh, but what we can't do is ignore clear texts, right, right. Th- that right. speak to the deity of Christ just so that we feel better about being able to understand everything in its entirety. Yeah, th- there are a lot of, um, you know, I think the, the, the scriptures are, are clear. Uh, and let, let's take the topic of God's sovereignty as an example. Um, we know that God is sovereign. We know that man is responsible. Um, both the realities are very clearly there in the text. I think where we try to get into trouble is to try to resolve that in our own minds, how both can be true at the same time. Um, it's a lot simpler um, to, to just say that they're both true rather than to try to, um, as you say, oversimplify to the point where you end up denying one or the other. And it's the same thing with topics like the Trinity, right? Uh, three gods, one person. Um, same thing here, the deity of, of Jesus Christ, very much uh, connected to to the Trinity. So we, we have to understand that our minds are limited. God's God's mind is not. Our minds are limited. And there's always going to come a point where we're going to reach the, the limits of what it is that we can understand. Um, and t- so we have to go to the scriptures and, and we have to wrestle with these truths, um, not denying anything that um, it says, but trying to figure out, okay, how can this be true and this as well? So even that question that you bring up, it is a good question. I think we should be asking that. We, we should be prepared for the questions that others might ask just by looking at the text, um, because I think it is a very valid question. If Jesus Christ is God, why is he praying to God the Father? Um, he's already God, right? So that that is a valid question. And at the same time, you don't want to take that question to the place of, well, that must mean Jesus Christ is not God. So we're going to throw out everything else it says about Jesus Christ being God, right? So we, um, we have to wrestle with these truths and then at some point realize that, you know what, um, Scripture validates these truths. And, and though they may seem like a tension for me, the problem really is with my inability to fully comprehend not in what the text says. We don't resolve it by throwing away certain text or, or, or saying that this is not important, so we can ignore this, um, which is what a lot of people do when they get very selective about what text they want to stick to. Yeah, absolutely. And again, in this particular topic, makes the difference between whether you're a Christian or not. It can, yeah. right? right? I, I mean, to the degree that you believe differently. Um, 
in the the character in the nature in the nature of Christ, you may not be saved. Um, I, I mean, almost every heresy out there, right? At some stage, I mean, by definition, touches on the person and work of Christ, right? Um, and and so we have to be very careful here. I think last week uh, we 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 went to well. Let's just start with that question on the Facebook page. Um, just answering the question, and we sort of answered it last week, but really we could just go back to John 1, 1, right? Um, where, and we talked about that last week, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, there, there's, there's no disagreement uh, uh, concerning who the Word is referring to. We, you're right, we understand that to be Jesus, and that's a very clear verse, right? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Um, And and so, though you may not understand how that works, you can't dismiss such a clear passage, and of course, that's not the only one. Um, But so then, for an honest, right, uh, believer, for, for looking at the text with integrity, you would at the very least have to say, I have no idea how these things are true. But the text very clearly says both things are true. Jesus yeah. is both God, and yet I see that he prays to the Father. Um, but h- how would you answer that question? What are, you know, if someone says, well, okay, so I see that, but then how do you explain what's going on there? Yeah, well, Jesus Christ took on flesh, right? I mean, so we know about John 1, 1, but one fourteen says the word became flesh. And we know from Philippians 2 that he emptied himself. And we talked about that last week, that he existed in the form of glory, just like God the Father, and emptied himself by taking on the form of man and really masking that glory. It's not like he didn't have it anymore, but but it was masked. And uh, and, and the only three of the disciples would actually see it before Jesus Christ is crucified. And that's on the Mount of Transfiguration. So what does it mean that Jesus Christ prayed to his God? Well, he took on the form of man and humbled himself and uh, and depended upon God. I mean, he entrusted his life to God according to God the Father's will. Now, remember, he's the one that emptied himself. He's the one that humbled himself. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. God the Father did not empty God the Son. God the Father did not humble God the Son. God the Son willingly did that himself. So there's a divine counsel between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, where they charted out exactly what they were going to do, what what they were going to accomplish. Uh, We know that Isaiah says that uh, God knew the end from the beginning, right? So from the time that he created um, all the heavens and the earth, he already knew what he was setting out to do. And so when Jesus Christ willingly took on human flesh, he really willingly took on human flesh as a representative of us. I mean, for him to go to the cross and be able to die on the cross, he had to be a representative of man. But also as a representative of man, he had to show us um, what, what it meant to humble himself to God the Father and to depend upon God the Father and God the Spirit for everything. And so for him to pray to God the Father, that's him as a man. And he's he never stopped being God. Don't get me wrong. He's 100% God, 100% man. But that's him as man communing with God the Father, um, partially because that's just what he does. They have that kind of relationship. But also as as an example um, to to us who who follow after him. So I, I would say that that was part of his um, his humbling, his emptying himself, humbling himself. Um, and, and coming and, and seeking to do God's will. And we see that, and we talked about that last week, going through the book of John, how even in John 5, 18, it talked about how because Jesus was making God his own father, they, they realized that he was making himself equal to God. And then Jesus' response to that is that I can do nothing on my own. Uh, well, 
That sounds like inferiority, but really that's a reflection of the fact that Jesus came to depend completely on God the Father's um, will and purpose. And then that was where the, the Jews failed to understand. And really, this is, and this applies to everyone, not just Jews. If you truly know God the Father, then you truly know God the Son. If you truly know God the Son, then you truly know God the Father. John 1.18 says he explained him. No one has ever seen seen um, the invisible God, um, the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Jesus Christ is the most perfect explanation of God the Father um, in human flesh. So that was really just part of his incarnation and, and just this his humbling before God the Father. But again, once he was ascended up into heaven, and, and we can talk about Psalm 110 a little bit later, but Psalm 110, he, he's at the right hand of God, and, and God the Father tells God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And, and that passage right there establishes that Jesus Christ, he's not merely just a servant of God, he is now a co-ruler. Um, he, he is he is the co-sovereign over all the heavens and the earth. And, and that's solidified by the end of Matthew 28, that before Jesus Christ gave us the Great Commission, he said, all authority has been given to me in earth and in heaven. And guess what? There's nowhere else. I mean, that's yeah. all authority everywhere that, that exists, all authority given to him. So he has the same authority as God the Father, and you can't say that unless he himself is God in human flesh. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And I think if I might add to that, the second thing we would say is um, in answering the question, why would Jesus then pray to the Father, is that this comes to needing an understanding of the Trinity, right? We The, the reason Jesus can pray to the Father and still be God is because uh, the, the Trinity is distinct in personhood, right? There are three distinct yeah. persons in the Trinity. Right. And, and so, therefore, they can interact with each other individually and still be one God. Now, there's obviously mystery in that, yeah. um, but the text of Scripture is quite clear. And so, along with your answer, we would just add, I think, that, um, that that's the reason. So, it's not as though Jesus is saying uh, he, that he has a God and Father that um, is somehow a different nature than he is. Um, no, it's just very simply that there are three distinct persons in the Trinity and yet one God. Um, yeah. it, it, we see this quite clearly at Jesus' baptism, right? Um, we, we have Jesus being baptized, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have God all together uh, in, in the same instance. And, and so, I, I think it's not a very complicated question. Uh, it's a rather simple question. Is it easy to grasp all the inner workings? Well, no, because again, we're talking about the triune nature of of God, right? Uh, the Godhead. So th there's obviously mystery in there. But uh, l let's go through a few more verses because we're just basically trying to make a case for all the very plain uh, scriptures that speak to the fact that Jesus is God. And yeah. there are so many that if you're a believer and you're regularly in the word, um, you should know this, right? Um, it, it's one thing when we're talking about doctrines that require, um, it, you know, a, a little bit of maybe systematics where you're having to pull from here, from here, and you're kind of putting them together and they require a little bit more thought. This actually is not one of those doctrines. Um, as, and, and I think that's, that, that's the goodness of God. The, the doctrine that the entire Christian faith is built upon 
is one of the plainest ones in scripture to see. I mean, I just think that's, you think about how gracious God was, that we have all of these very clear passages um, of God's deity. We, we spent last the last episode in the book of John, but there's lots of passages, right? If you go to Colossians 2, 9 and 10, I mean, here again, an, a very clear one. Um, For in him, being Christ, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You can't get any more clear than that, right? And then it goes on to say in verse 10, and in him, you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. That means God the Father has no greater rule or authority than Christ. And the only way that could ever be true is if you're equal, right? Yeah, and we see that uh, just reemphasized over and over again in so many places. You know, you mentioned Colossians, and we talked about Philippians too. God has exalted him um, and uh, given and bestowed upon him the name of that is above every name, um, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and even in the earlier question about uh, prayer, I just want to go back to that in a moment. You know, Jesus um, did indeed pray to God the Father, and you're right, there is a trinity there, um, and, and they're they're constantly in communion with one another. So what else would you expect him to do? Right. But um, but also and and you had mentioned this last week, um, chapter John, chapter 14, verse 14 says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Mm -hmm. And that's where Jesus saying, ask me anything in my name. So we we talked about how you can pray to the entire Trinity because the entire Trinity is indeed God. But here's Jesus in John, chapter 14 says, ask me whatever in my name. And then the very next chapter, chapter 15 he goes on to say, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So Jesus says, whether you ask me or whether you ask the Father, I'll give it to you. But if Jesus is not God, what are you doing praying to someone who is not God for, right? Why are you asking anyone who is not God? There is no example anywhere in the New Testament or Old Testament of, uh, of people being told to pray to saints, right? Saints who have passed on. We we don't pray to Moses. We don't pray to Abraham. We don't pray to Isaac, Mm -hmm. Jacob. We don't pray to David. um, We don't pray to any of the prophets, uh, Elijah, um, people like that. But in this case, you can actually go to Jesus Christ. And then even the image of how the, uh, we know that when Jesus was crucified, the veil of the curtain was torn. Well, the veil of the curtain, where is that leading to? Well, ultimately, that's leading to the most holy place where where God the Father um, will would abide with his glory, right? Um, and and uh, Jesus Christ, having made sure that that uh, veil of the curtain was torn, he became our great high priest, meaning that you have direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Um, and, and Jesus is different from all the other high priests. The book of Hebrews talks about that, in that he offered an absolute perfect sacrifice, which was only possible by taking on human flesh. So, I mean, just going back to that whole prayer point, um, Jesus is not only our high priest who is who who gives us access 24-7 to God the Father, but even he himself, John 14, 14 says, ask me anything in my name. And how does Revelation end? Revelation ends with, uh, with the Apostle John saying, Lord Jesus, come, right? Which is a, a statement yeah. directly to Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, while we're on the subject of prayer and we see God's deity and the way he handles and deals with prayer, I mean, you can go to Acts 7. Uh, and let me just go there. Acts seven fifty nine. This is the stoning of Stephen. And th- this is very interesting. Uh, it says, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Right. 
he, he wasn't praying to God the Father. He wasn't praying to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. though he could mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, I mean, he's talking about the eternal resting place, right? Where he's going to spend eternity. And who does he go to, right? Who does he pray to to receive, right, his spirit for all of eternity? Jesus. Well, yep. if Jesus wasn't, in fact, fully God, then it would have made him a blasphemer. Now, right. that's really interesting uh, because on, on this comment that we had on, on our video on YouTube, um, they, they kind of touch on or mention the fact that the early church believed J- Jesus wasn't God, but that's actually not true at all. In fact, nobody questioned no. Jesus's claim, not even the Pharisees. That was the very reason they often sought to kill him was because mm-hmm. he made himself one with God. And of course, the That's text right. is so gracious and it tells us that clearly. Yeah, and in fact, um, you mentioned Acts chapter 7, verse 59, but even the very next verse, verse 60, then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Yeah. Jesus has the authority mm-hmm. to be able to answer that prayer. And we know it was answered powerfully with at least one individual there, and that was the Apostle Paul. But even earlier on in verse 56, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The, the Son of Man is the title that Jesus often uses to describe himself, especially when you go through the book of John. He uses that title more than any other title. And the Son of Man, let me read this. This goes back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel has a vision. And he says this in verse 13, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and the ancient of days, obviously referring to God, the father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed that is the authority given to jesus christ that is the authority that he has at the right hand of god the father that allows the deacon stephen to look up and see him as the son of man standing at the right hand of god and instead of praying to god he's actually praying to the son of man calling him lord jesus asking him to receive my spirit and do not hold this in against him absolutely powerful verses you had mentioned um, that uh, oftentimes when they clashed the, the jewish leaders of jesus day and jesus it was really over this um th- th- this issue of jesus christ being god in fact i just gave a message this past sunday and i have some verses here john 5 18 we talked about that the jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the sabbath but also calling god his own father making himself equal to god and then later in john chapter 8 uh, verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. Why would they do that? Because by calling himself, I am, he is identifying himself as the I am that mm-hmm. spoke to Moses. And then John chapter 10, verses 32 to 33, Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, of which are you stoning me? Jesus answered, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you make yourself out to be God. So these clashes between them repeatedly was really over his deity. And in fact, while we're on that topic, let me take us to Matthew chapter 22. This is this is powerful stuff. So I mentioned Psalm 110, 
Jesus, uh, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 at the very end of Matthew chapter 22. And you'll recognize Matthew chapter 22. This is um, an ongoing back and forth between Jesus Christ and the both the Pharisees as well as the Sadducees. Um, they're challenging him about resurrection. Um, they're challenging him about the two greatest commandments and all that. And then when you get to the end of chapter 22, um, chapter 22, verse 41 now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Now, that very easy answer for anyone who understands the scriptures. Everyone knew the Messiah who was to come was going to be the son of David. But you know what? Whenever you see Jesus ask two questions, the first one is meant to set up the second one. All right. Uh, pay attention to that. So the first one's meant to be a gimme. This is easy. They said the son of David. Verse 43, and he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Now, that goes back to Psalm 110. You think about it. Psalm 110 was written by David over a nation that had independence of every other nation. They were a theocratic nation. He was the highest man. Um, he, he was the, the man of the greatest earthly authority within the nation of Israel, and he is referring to two people, one that he calls Yahweh and the other one he calls my Lord. And think about this, David already knows the promise of the Messiah was going to be one of his sons, that that's given to him in Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. But then for him to refer to one of his sons as my Lord goes against everything that is culturally acceptable. I mean, even in our culture today, those of you who are listening, if you have children, you don't expect uh, you don't expect your your children to 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 demand the authority and the honor to say that when you refer to them, you need to call them your lord, right? You don't expect yeah. uh, your your grandparents to refer to you as lord, your parents to refer to you as lord. But here, David refers to him as my lord, and that's why in verse forty five, Jesus says, "If David then calls him lord." Whose son is he? And that goes back to, to actually the original question. What about the Christ? Whose son is he? And so he points out Psalm 110, says, whose son is he? And the only, the only viable answer to that is that he must also be the son of God. But look at what they do. Verse 46, mm -hmm. no one was able to answer him a word. Why? Because one, they know Psalm 10 was written by David. They know David wrote it in the spirit. They know David referred to his own son as Lord. They don't have an explanation for that, aside from the fact that this Lord must also be God, and he must be the son of God, right? That's the only, that, that's, that's the only reasonable answer. But they did not answer a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. And then you get into Matthew 23, and then you get the woes to scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. So it's not coincidental that the very last challenge that Jesus offers to them is about his deity before condemning them, bringing down the, the, this chorus of woes upon them, um, where he, he's just condemning the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, the Jewish leadership, basically the entire religious system. So you're right. A lot of these clashes between Jesus Christ and the Jews was specifically over his authority. And many of those who walked away from Jesus that that rejected Jesus in that time did so because they rejected his claim to deity. So we as believers, as Christians, this is an absolute must. Um, we must recognize that Jesus Christ is indeed God. Without yeah. him being God, he could not even have paid the penalty on the cross. Um, and certainly he cannot uh, make all these other claims that he's making throughout the scriptures. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, that's a powerful passage there. And then, it, you know, and I let me. I want to jump back to Acts. And, it, you know, I think it's good we're, we're jumping from, and it might seem a little bit disheveled, but I hope what people get from kind of jumping from, you know, Old Testament to New Testament to this book to this book is just to kind of get a feel of just how often um, yeah. the, the the subject of Christ's deity is clear throughout right the Bible so and this is an interesting one so if you go to Acts chapter 9 of course we know that this is uh, Saul's conversion right he's on the Damascus road and this is very interesting so he sees a sudden flash of light and he hears a voice from heaven and he hears the voice saying so this is in verse 4 Saul Saul why are you persecuting me now mm-hmm. this is a voice from heaven right um, and he said who are you Lord and he, he said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. Now, this is just very interesting because where any other time we have a voice from heaven speaking, who's it been? It's always been God. It's always been God, right? And so now we don't see God the Father, we see it's Jesus. He causes a flash of lightning. He's speaking to Saul. He's telling him what the direction for his life is going to be. Who else has Mm -hmm. the authority to do that but God? Now, you go on down a little bit later, um, and where God is speaking to Ananias, and this is the the good one, not the bad one, right? He says, uh, and this is the Lord speaking to him. He says, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. He's seen a vision uh, about you, I'm summarizing there, and about laying your hands on so that he might receive his sight. So God also struck him blind, right? Now, then back to Saul, the Lord says to Saul in verse 15, he says, go, oh, sorry, Ananias still, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he suffers for my name's sake. Now, this yeah. is very... Yeah powerful because you have god who's identified himself as jesus who is determining the life destiny of a person yeah via someone getting a prophetic word right and not only that but he's making it clear that the gentiles i mean that's you that's me everyone that's not a jew and the kings and son of israel he's gonna be a witness to them so he's saying the whole world is going to worship me, the one talking to you, which is Jesus. Well, again, who alone deserves worship other than God? If right. Jesus wasn't God, one, he never would have been able to do what he did on the Damascus Road. And two, he could never have demanded that Paul's life destiny, if you want to put it that way, his purpose on earth was to convince the nations essentially to worship Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, uh, amazing passages and, and amazing points you're making. You're right. Um, the the voice from heaven has always been God, and here it is, Jesus Christ, but also Jesus Christ exercising his sovereignty, right? Um, it, we remember back in John, we talked about this last week, Jesus said that he has authority given to him by God to save whom he wishes, to raise up whom he wishes. And so Jesus Christ is exercising his authority here. And by the way, we can expand that point, that that very good point that you made throughout the entire New Testament in this way. 
that throughout the Old Testament, you think about the, the difference between the Old and the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, you are constantly hearing the Word of God. Now, not in every single book, but throughout. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that you have phrases like, thus says the Lord, and the Lord says. And when you have a prophet who comes, the prophet never speaks on his own authority. He always speaks to the people, thus says the Lord, or the Lord says. You know what Jesus Christ never did? He never said, thus says the Lord, or the Lord says. He spoke from his own authority. And when you think about the entire testimony of the New Testament, really, we only hear God the Father's voice a few times through the gospel accounts. And you know what's interesting? When we do hear the voice of God the Father, it's always to point to God the Son. Always. You know, you think about them going up to the transfiguration account and they see the glory of God shining from the face of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, that's that's another one of those signs that Jesus Christ is God, because that kind of glory only belongs to God. But as Peter doesn't know what to say and he just kind of mumbles something about, let me build a tabernacle for you and and Moses and and Elijah, that's when the voice of God, the father comes from heaven. And, And this whole scene at the at the Mount of Transfiguration, I can't help but to draw a lot of parallels between this scene and Mount Sinai when they received the Ten Commandments. Mm, because you've got yeah. the cloud, you've got the thunder, you know, you've got the, the, the voice like thunder, um, you've got uh, the commands being boomed up from up top. But here's the difference. You, you know, the glory of God is up there, but when you're in the book of Exodus, God the Father is issuing command after command after command, saying you must follow these commands. There's only one command that he says from the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's listen to the Son because I am well pleased in him. And it's interesting that Jesus Christ speaks from his own authority, never once has to say, the Lord says this or the Lord says that. And yet when God the Father actually does speak, he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Why would you say that? Because God the Son did everything that God the Father wanted to do. That's why John would say that he is the perfect explanation of him. So that that sovereignty that we see in God that you're pointing out here in Acts, Um, It really is throughout because Jesus Christ is the one that is speaking the vast majority of the time. Very seldomly do you hear from God the Father because you don't need to hear from God the Father. And let me, um, this verse just came to mind at the end of the book of, um, at the end of chapter 7 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount is going on from Matthew chapter 7 through, uh, from, uh, sorry, chapter 5 through verse 7. And you get to the end of chapter 7. And after Jesus is done speaking, and this is the longest recorded sermon that we have from Jesus Christ in any of the Gospels, verse 28, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes and we know from the sermon on the mount where he would say you have read it was said this but i say to you he didn't say the lord revealed to me or the lord says or the lord calls you to repent he says i say to you only one who is god can take that authority of the word of god and actually say i say to you this is what it means and this is what you're to do yeah absolutely i mean incredible pack uh, incredible passages um, if if we go back to John, uh, just again another angle. Now this is very interesting because I want to I want to talk about this one a little more from a technical angle. I, I want to look at the Greek word used here uh, again because it's undeniable. You go to John twenty twenty eight. So uh, yeah. Jesus is appearing, and and here here we have Thomas. Right, we all know the story. Uh, Jesus says, "Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here." 
your hand and put it into my sod and do not be unbelieving, but believing. So yeah. we have Jesus here appearing after his resurrection. Now, this is what's very interesting. So Thomas answers in verse 28, and, and it says, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Yeah. The word for God there is theos. Yeah. That's only used of God the Father. Yeah. And, and here Thomas is recognizing him as God, true God. Um, so uh, again, even just from the, the the Greek perspective, you don't need that, um, but you just see it everywhere in in the scripture, and it's undeniable. Yeah, and and one of the um, for people that deny Jesus Christ as God, they will say that, oh no, Thomas was looking up at the sky and and uh, and, and looking at his father when he said, "My God." So saying to Jesus, my Lord, but then looking up the skies saying, oh, my God. The problem is verse 28 says, Thomas answered and said to him. Him, yeah. And who is the him? Well, that's Jesus Christ. There, there was nowhere in there where it says Thomas was looking up at the sky. He was actually talking directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he make that proclamation? Because he rec recognized that Jesus Christ did what no man could ever do. They can't just raise themselves up from the grave and, and come back um, after after they have been after they have been crucified or, or killed in any kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I want to give one more, and then uh, we we can jump around. But if you go to Titus, uh, let me just get there quickly. Um, so this is Apostle Paul, one of the pastoral epistles, writing to Titus. Um, Titus 2.13, uh, again, just so very clear, um, says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, that's Theos, yeah. by the way, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. It, it's explicit. You yep. just can't get away from the fact that Jesus is God. You, you, you can reject it, you can deny it, um, but you can't get away from the truth of it yeah and, and we could get into um, a technical discussion on the greek behind this because some have claimed that um, paul is uh, talking about god the father and god the son um, and, and there are some greek rules and i, I want to say it's the granville sharp i'm not positive i've got that right um, but if you look at the greek construction and how it's used he is clearly talking about one person so the great god and savior christ jesus both referring to the same person but even if if you want to kind of quibble about that, look at the rest of verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory, right? I mean, this is lifting up Jesus Christ. Even if you want to say that this is talking about two different people, it is at least lifting up Jesus Christ as the blessed hope and the one who's going to appear with glory, which we know he will. He's he's the one who's going to return. Um, so this, again, uh, another powerful testimony uh, from the Apostle Paul himself talking about Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was a good uh, point, the grammar. Basically, we would understand the grammar here to be like saying the soccer ball is black and white, right? You, you, you're combining yeah. those two things right. to describe one. Um, yeah, and they do a good job in, in most of the English in terms of where they've placed commas and things like that. I think it accurately reflects what's being said there. So e even, even without any of that, though, you still have, if you just read English, Right, you have all these clear passages of Jesus is God, Jesus claiming to be God. The Pharisees saying they were trying to kill him because he's claiming to be God. Uh, you just really can't get away from it. Do, do you have some other passages? You're preaching through the Book of John right now. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, John is just chock full. Um, but um, I, I was thinking of, uh, I, I was looking at Hebrews chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, Hebrews chapter one provides us with another powerful testimony, very similar to what we saw in the opening um, of, of John. Um, Hebrews chapter one, verse one, um, God, this is talking about the father, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many, in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world so not only is jesus christ the heir of all things that means to him belongs the inheritance that's really what that word is about inheritance to him belongs the inheritance of all things through whom also he made the world and that again is is repeating what john had said in john chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 that all things were created through him in verse 3 and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature jesus christ is the exact representation of, of the nature of god why because by nature he is god and he upholds all, all things by the word of his power so jesus not only created all things but he sustains all things and then it says when he made purification of sins he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high but then later on in verse 5 to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son today, I've begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him. He shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn to the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And the angels, he say, verse seven, who makes his angels uh, winds and his ministries a flame of fire? Verse eight, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Look at that verse eight. He says, mm-hmm. of the son, he says this. This is a contrast between Jesus Christ and the angels. He says to Jesus, your throne, O God. This is God the Father referring to God the Son as, O God, your throne is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. And that ties back to, going back to uh, uh um, I want to say Genesis 49, when when Jacob gives his blessings to his sons, his greatest blessing was reserved for Judah, where he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until the one to whom it belongs arrives, and to him will be the obedience of all the peoples. So right there, right out of Hebrews chapter 1, very clear affirmation of Jesus Christ's deity. Yeah, absolutely. It's a powerful verse to see God the Father refer to God the Son as God. Yep. Right. And this might be the only place I'm aware of. Uh, it's the only place in scripture I'm aware of that it's stated right. as clearly as that. Right. 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 Um, and, and so, again, it, it's really just undeniable. And it, though it might seem like uh, it's very repetitive, well, it, it is repetitive because it's essential to the Christian yeah. faith. Again, the Jesus you worship is the difference between life and death, it's the difference between salvation and 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 not it's the difference between heaven and hell if you believe in a jesus who is not fully god you don't believe in a jesus who can save um and and so it's an incredibly important subject Uh, there there are a lot of yeah did you have anything to add to that yeah no i I mean i I was just um and i'm at colossians one now because as we're talking about hebrews one we got to go to colossians one as well um, and again, just just hammering on the same point, starting in verse 15, um, talking about Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does that mean? Well, we are created in the image of God. He is the image. All right. He, he's he's the perfect image. He is the image of God. And then there's this phrase that trips up a lot of people, the firstborn of all creation. The Greek word there is prototokos. Mm. And, and that means he is the one that gets the inheritance. 
And then we saw that earlier, just as we were reading through Hebrews chapter one, he is the inheritor of all things. Now, why do we say firstborn? Because firstborn often gets the inheritance. So he is the firstborn doesn't mean he was created because in verse 16, it says, for by him, all things were created. And, and this is where I believe it's the Jehovah's Witness. If you were to look at their Bible, they say all other things were created, mm. both in the heavens, on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things or what they would say all other things have been created through him and for him. The, the problem is when you say all other things, that word other is not there in the Greek. Okay, if you're going to, going to be honest with the text, and this is where we approach the text with fear and trembling, translate what's actually there. Translate what's there, and if if it's saying something, um, if it's saying something you think it's saying, then you should be able to argue it just from what it's well, what it actually says, not what it doesn't say, right? <clears throat> but here's the thing, verse sixteen: by him all things are created, and then at the end, verse sixteen: all things have been created through him and for him. So all things. Once again, we saw this in John one, we saw this in Hebrews one, but it says by him, through him, and for him. I mean, those are some pretty powerful prepositional phrases used yeah. to help us understand this creation. And not only that, um, when we, we go on later, verse um, verse 19, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him. I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And this is just to show, once again, God the Father, God the Son, they are working in harmony over the plan of redemption. Mm -hmm. And they share the same name, right? They share the same yeah. name. You know, just earlier on when we were in Acts and Jesus said to Ananias that I must show Paul how much he, was, he must suffer for my name's sake. Well, I mean, if Jesus Christ is not God, what is that? right? Yeah. My name's sake. And remember in the Great Commission at the end of the book of Matthew, um, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name, one name of three people, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One name. So Jesus, even in that statement, claims to have the same name as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and that's not insignificant that that's singular, right? The grammar matters. Right. I mean, we have to understand God in inspired the text through men and he used the grammar that he wanted to use and it's important if we dismiss that then we're dismissing the, the word of god right um i i, I want to talk about i mean verse 16 I, you made a phenomenal point there and and it's important all things that have been created through him and for him that that's especially important because it makes christ the center of all things in the universe yeah right Right. Again, right. <clears throat> if Jesus isn't God, that wouldn't be possible. Only God can take that place. Um, so, again, we just see this theme over and over again. Now, this is an interesting, uh, in Colossians, it, it's act, we have a heresy that comes heavily from this verse, Arianism. Uh, and it, Arianism is basically denies the the deity of christ right arianism says that jesus is of a different nature than christ um i, I think every first year seminary student uh you'll see on their facebook pages on their twitter the conversation between right homoousis and homoousis yeah um right. whether it's the same nature whether christ has the same nature or a similar nature, yeah. which would be different, right? Um, but they use this Colossians 1.15 passage. The, the problem is, as you already stated, 
is you have to understand the biblical usage and customary ways of communicating when this was said the emphasis is just on the privileges of the firstborn the passage isn't saying he is different or created that that's that that's just misunderstanding the language used right um and but it but arianism uh depends upon that i want to talk about another and then we'll you had another verse i think to jump to um but these are some common heresies out there arianism is a big one um modalism is another one and some of these cross into i mean they have to do with jesus's deity and the trinity uh we talked about modalism last time modalism just simply believes that there's one person who appears in different forms so it rejects the personhood of the three members of the trinity um and and so by way of that uh it it would reject the person character and nature of christ as well but you can't believe in modalism if you read your bible because again just go to jesus's baptism what do you do with that you have god the father speaking you have the descendants of the holy spirit and then of course you have jesus in the flesh um there are lots of other ones i mean you've got the uh, subordination false doctrines which basically says that jesus is eternal but he's not equal to god the father in being or an attribute and origin was mm-hmm. a big proponent of this right and and it what's interestingly enough is origin was actually trying to defend so it was well-meaning um but in that right uh he, he changes uh, the the understanding of the nature and so basically uh that view the subordination uh is that jesus derives his being from the father and so therefore he's subordinate that's a heresy if you believe that about christ um then you're in danger of your salvation it's a different christ now there's some various forms of it out there adoptionism is another common one Uh, again the the theme is you know if it touches the character and nature of christ and changes it outside of the clear teaching of scripture whatever it is you believe is not christianity i mean adoptionism is a strange one and this is one that you see in the charismatic movement um i if i yeah i I can't i can't quote exactly who i've heard it from now but it goes around from time to time but this is the view the view that jesus was just a man just a man until his baptism and adoptionism says at the point of his baptism then god bestowed upon him a supernatural status after his baptism but again, that changes the character and nature of Christ. And what yeah. do you do with John John uh, John one one, right? Where it clearly right. says right. Jesus existed basically before all things. Um, so it, it the subject does matter, and what you believe about Jesus does matter. Do you have to come to a full understanding of his deity and how the Trinity works? No, because none of us will. But if you reject what's clearly in Scripture, right. Right. then you you are in fact rejecting christianity yeah and it's not just uh john 1 1 but john 17 5 when when jesus says now father glorify me together with yourself with the glory which i had with you before the world was right and uh, philippians 2 we already mentioned it uh, though he existed in the form of god and 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 existed the the word um, that the verb there used for existed really it's it's the imperfect the idea is that he was continually existing um, in the form of God. Um, so yeah, we we see elsewhere 
where Jesus Christ um, existed as God. Um, he was clearly God, had the glory of God um, well before that baptism. So to even to take that stance would require you to deny some very clear passages in multiple places. Yeah, you go all the way back to Genesis. God says, let us create man. Yep. Us. Who? Who's the us? And who's the us that's being made to be the same as God? Right. Um, and, and so we do. We see it from <clears throat> Genesis all the way to Revelation that Christ, the, the universe, everything that has ever been or ever will be um, centers on the, the person and work of Christ. Yeah. Because he's God. Right. I, I, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll leave you with one more passage. I'm going to take you to Mark chapter two. And uh, this one, um, a fellow sister in Christ by the name of Beth, she's the uh, she's the wife of our um, family pastor here um, at, at our church. Um, she brought up this verse, and I thought it was great. Mark chapter 2, this is where um, some friends uh, lower a paralytic through the roof uh, for Jesus Christ to heal him. Mm. And verse uh, 5, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, you know what? Those are good questions. I, they, they got it right. Who, yeah. who can forgive sins but God alone? <clears throat> and here's what's interesting. Verse 8, immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. You know what attribute is being demonstrated there? Omniscience. Okay, Jesus already knew what was in their heart, even without them having to say it. And so he said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or get up and pick up your pallet and walk? Well, I mean, if you're a fraud, it's easier to say something that can't be validated, right? You, you, anyone can say your sins are forgiven. How do you validate that, right? Uh, verse 10, he goes on to say, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out uh, and it went out in the sight of everyone. So <clears throat> Jesus Christ basically performs the miracle to affirm what he is able to do spiritually, which is forgive sins. And, and again, can't miss it. These scribes yeah. and, and Pharisees, they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming with these statements. They were asking himself the exact right question and they should have came away from this thinking, wait a second, Jesus is God. They didn't do that, despite yeah. the fact that Jesus claimed the authority to forgive sins, validated it with his ability to actually heal the man, and even knew in their heart what they were thinking. I mean, this is like, in the modern lingo, a mic drop moment here. That's right. Right. That's right. I, I mean, really, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He, he knew exactly what was going to happen. They say, who are you? Only God can forgive sins. And... Yeah. And so he says, okay, get up and walk, demonstrating that he can forgive sins, and th there's nothing else that can be said. Right. Because they're left with, oh, he's God. Yep. And of course, you know, we, we know how often that they, they try to kill him. That, that's a fantastic verse. And, it is. And, oh. and I think, you know, again, if you, if, if you just read throughout the scriptures and you're paying attention, it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. It's also fascinating to me, just as an aside, that some of the the heresies that are most deadly um, that would cause you to not be a Christian are ones that are founded on the clearest of scriptures. 
that oppose the clearest of scriptures, which just blows my mind. And I think um, the the reason that that's true is because of the nature, the sinful nature of man, right? We're dead. Uh, right. And so we can't even see what's clearly before us. Um, and that's the reality. People who deny the deity of Christ, who deny the Trinity, um, you, you can't be a believer and deny those things. You just can't. Um, you, you need new life, right? Um, and so, well, brother, why don't we, as we end here, we've been talking about the deity of Christ and how everything in the universe revolves around the person and work of Christ because he is God. So then we should answer the question, um, if that's true or since that's true, what is the gospel? Because that's what we need and the very thing that Christ came to bring was the good news, right? So right. what is the gospel and how can one be saved? Yeah, Jesus Christ, uh, God from eternity past, came in human flesh, uh, and he did so as an expression of the love of God the Father, um, who showed his great love and, and mercy, sent his son, knowing that his son was the only way that we can find salvation to him. Uh, we've been in the book of uh, John quite often as we've been discussing his deity. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Talking about the way, he is the only path to God. Um, there is no physical path. There's no set of um, works that you can do. Jesus Christ is the only way. Um, he is the truth. He is the one that gives us the truth of God that no one else can give us. And he is life. He is the one that is life. He provides life. He sustains life and all life exists for him. So when Jesus Christ came into the world, he came for a specific purpose. It was to sacrifice himself by offering himself as a substitute on our behalf on the cross and it wasn't just the physical crucifixion, but it was the wrath of God that he bore upon his body when he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took on the wrath of God um, that we deserve for all eternity. And for those of us, um, we can we can be forgiven of our sins by repenting and putting our faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he not only died, but he was raised up on the third day. That was to show that he had ultimate victory over death. He ascended up into heaven at the right hand of God the Father, and he will return. And so I often say that Jesus Christ is the only way because he is the only one who lived a perfect life. He is the only one that could offer himself up as a perfect sacrifice. So there is only one way because there is only one Christ, and that is Jesus Christ. And so God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit had this perfect plan where God the Son would come, um, submitting himself to the will of God the Father, that this plan may be achieved. And without this work, there is no other way to heaven. There is no way to salvation. There is no way that we could ever be declared innocent or even righteous before a holy God. Only Jesus Christ going to the cross, and he exchanged our sin for his righteousness. And it's by that work and that work alone that we can stand before God, knowing that we are declared righteous and that we have um, the right to to be in the kingdom forever with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and all of God's people. Amen and amen. Well, we hope this podcast has been episode has been helpful to you. Um, don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel where uh, you can uh, watch it on video rather than audio. Um, you can check that out. Details will be in the show notes. By the way, we would love to hear your testimonies if uh, these podcasts has been helpful to you or you have some suggestions for other topics that would be helpful um, then just send us an email again our email will be in the show notes so until next time let the truth be known 
The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.